quick preamble. After this episode was recorded, our guest announced that he is accepting GitHub sponsors. So if you want to see some really cool offensive security tools, go check out his GitHub page. That's github.com slash bitebleeder. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Coalcast, sponsored by Coalfire, the largest penetration testing company in North America. I'm your host, Logan, and today on the show with us, we have back Marcello, a.k.a. Bitebleeder. Welcome back to Coalcast, Marcello. Thank you. Glad to be back. It's been a crazy couple, few months. Dude, it has, for real. Yeah, and I'm glad you agreed to come back because uh, I, like, I've just been hearing what's been going on with you recently, and I know you've also been working on a lot of cool stuff. Like, you've been telling me about LibCloud, and I know you just did DerpCon, so we have a lot to catch up on, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. But first, I want to give people, if, if they haven't listened to your previous episode, some background on you. Um, so Marcello's an Italian hacker prodigy uh, responsible for some big tools like uh, CrackMap Exec and Silent Trinity. He's a friend of Colcast. He's come on once before to talk to us about some cool stuff, and now he's back to also talk to us about cool stuff. And uh, I don't know. I'll just pass it to you because I, what I really want to hear is uh, you, you think you had coronavirus, right? You think you were like patient zero? No, I mean, I don't know, but no, I'm not patient zero. You were in <laughs> Wuhan. That's what I you was told in, me. Yeah, I, I got Wuhan. <laughs> I got Wuhan. I, I think I'm pretty sure I got it because I was in Japan uh, December uh, of last year, and um, I was sick as a dog for like a week and a half, and mm. I had every symptom in the book. I had shortness of breath. I had fever. I had night sweats. I had it, I had it all, and I felt like I was literally going to die for like a week and a half. Um so uh, it was it was really bad. So I'm pretty sure I got it. I haven't been tested or anything, but um, Man. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's, yeah, that was that's interesting. I'm glad that you know you weren't immune compromised or whatever. Cause yeah, me too, man. <laughs> oh, it sucked. <laughs> and then you got stranded in Argentina because of it. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I got stranded in Argentina. <laughs> so I was in Argentina and. Um, I was there for, I wanted to be there for only like three weeks and I rented an Airbnb the fifth day into the, uh, to me being there, I got an email from the person that from the Airbnb owner saying, Hey, do not exit your house. Do not go outside at all. Call me immediately right now. Oh my God. I was like, okay, what's going on? So apparently people in the apartment complex were complaining. I, I don't watch TV and I was not following news at all whatsoever. I just wanted to go to Argentina, have a fun time, that kind of thing. Just, you know, I've never been to Latin America before. Right. And um, it's apparently five days into me being there, Argentina issued a nationwide quarantine. And there was like a quarantine, especially for people coming in from the States. And everyone knew that I was an American in this apartment complex and people were starting to revolt and people were like threatening her. Like they would call the cops or something if I didn't stay in the apartment. So she had to kick me out of the Airbnb. Thankfully she refunded my money. Um, oh, yeah. No, I didn't hear that part at all yet. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she, she kicked me out of the Airbnb. Uh, thankfully my girlfriend has an apartment there. So she, uh, so she graciously host me, hosted me. Which is great because also all of the flights canceled. So yeah, I was stranded in Argentina for two months uh, oh. until I got a relief flight from the, I had to contact the embassy. I had to get a relief flight. 
had to have an embassy note. I had to have, I had to have a written embassy note signed by the embassy for me to travel anywhere. Um, and there was parts of the way on the trip to my, from the, her apartment to the airport where I had to, uh, get uh, a police escort, like a little bit of a police escort because Bye. they couldn't, they wouldn't allow me on the highway. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was just crazy. And they were dumping sand also. Uh, apparently they were dumping sand on the entry, the entry and exit ramps of the highway. So people wouldn't travel because all, like everyone was, the entire country was like, you you cannot go anywhere. They were just putting house. sand on the roads? To keep yeah, they were just putting sand on the roads. And it was great. I had like three, four other Americans who were at the airport with me. And it was the only flight going out of EZE, which is crazy. Um, and yeah, no, it, was, it, was, it was nuts. Oh, my God, dude. That's an adventure. But like one of the <laughs> good things about us working where we work or like, you know, in the line of work that we have is that you were still able to like get a lot done while you were stranded in argentina right like you ran a convention yeah. and all this stuff yeah that's the thing like it's amazing that uh, uh, like that, that that's definitely it's a blessing it's a blessing and a curse at the same time like the <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> expectations still up like we don't care if you're in argentina yeah exactly exactly yeah well, i think yeah thankfully i work remote so i didn't have any issues yeah and then the derpcon derpcon was a thing while i was there too that was fun why um, don't you tell everybody about derpcon i i only caught pieces yeah, definitely. So DerpCon um, came out of sort of uh, the frustration of a lot of people that I know and I have a few friends of mine that there really isn't like a go-to InfoSec conference in the Colorado area. Like there's B-Sides Denver, there's B-Sides Boulder, but they're, they're, it's not like it's, it's community driven. It, it's not like the it's not well known and enough at least in my opinion and there are, there isn't one around here that's like the go to one if that makes sense yeah so um um my buddy Nick and a few other of his uh friends uh, invite uh, like invited me to participate in organizing the conference and uh, I said yeah sure I'll help and uh, we pulled it together in like 3 weeks which was amazing i i was actually really I was doubting that we could do this in three weeks. Like organizing a, a conference in three weeks is a hell of a thing, but we did it. We managed to put it together. We, we got some really good speakers. We got some really good sponsors. Um, it's the, the entire conference is a nonprofit and we raised, nice. I think around 20, around 20 K ish, um, for the COVID relief fund, of Colorado. That's so well. badass, man. Yeah. 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 Which is great. Which is so a really good feeling. It was um, you and a couple guys from Black Hills, right? That that started it. So I was the only one from Black Hills in the organizing team. Okay. But Black Hills did sponsor DerpCon. Um, they, they did sponsor it, and we used their GoToMeeting platform to actually host the conference. And Discord um, seemed to be like a big component too, right? Yeah, Discord is. We use Discord. I think that's the way to go. Like a lot of these virtual conferences, there's one popping up every other week now. But uh, most of the virtual conferences are using this uh, Discord. We used it as well. It's a really good way of engaging with people. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was really it was a really fun time. It was stressful also a bit, but it was also really fun. I and, caught some uh, of the talks. They were pretty solid too. Like some were hella yeah. advanced, like the .NET serialization one. Yeah, that was one of my favorite talks. The .NET serialization one on the Red Team track uh, was really good. All of the all of the videos are on YouTube, by the way. So if anyone that that um, hears this, you can just go on DerpCon InfoSec on YouTube and you can pull up the videos. DerpCon um, InfoSec. Okay, I didn't know that. That's awesome. 
Yeah, they're on YouTube. Um, you, yeah, so the, the .NET serialization one was really good. There was also um, a ham radio uh, SDR hacking one. Those are always uh, cool. Yeah, that was really good. And, and I think Kelly was a name. She provided um, a lot of practical examples as well, which I loved because, like, it's hard to sort of, like, tie all these concepts together in your head. But, like, she she did an example of, like, hacking a key fob for a car using SDR, which was what? super cool. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was super good. And so there was a, we had a bunch of good talks. We had a really bunch of good talks. And the idea is to go physical, hopefully, if that's even a thing after this uh, weird time is over next year. Um, uh, But that would be fantastic if we we went physical in the Denver area um, and sort of bring this to life. I think we'd also still want to keep the virtual component of it just because it would allow a lot more people to join, uh, even if they're not in the Rocky Mountain area, but um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think the virtual component went really well. Like Discord, I'm surprised. I was like, oh no, you know, how's this gonna <laughs> work? But it worked really, really well. And yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. A lot of people showed up, and I think it was exactly because what you said. Like, you don't have to physically be there. You don't have to get out of bed and like drive down anywhere and deal with traffic. You just open a link and learn something. I think that's like hugely beneficial for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we had people like. We had joining in from crazy places that I've even never heard of. There was this one guy that joined in from like some, some really small nation, like in the, like Malaysian area that I've never heard of before. Like I, like it was just, it was just crazy the amount of people that we, that we had joining in. It it was nuts. It was was really good though. Yeah. Felt really good. Yeah, I'm excited to see, you know, how it builds from here because that was just the first one, right? Are you, and you know, if you're doing two, three, uh, that's going to be cool. The the SDR one, I didn't catch that, but um, SDR ones are always cool. Have you ever played with SDRs before? Like, have have you ever tried any of the fun little tricks? I have not. I've always been meaning to get into it. I, I, would, I love playing around with anything that interacts with, like, physical stuff a lot more. But um, I haven't had the time to really dig into it. But I, I, I've seen a few talks, and I think at least at this point, I know where to start. Um, I just have to get some of the hardware and actually dedicate some time if I ever have time, <laughs> depending, on, yeah, depending on what happens. Yeah. I, uh, I had like a little bit of a phase with SDRs. One of the coolest SDR talks I ever saw was at Hexacon last year um, in Mexico. It was this guy, Skipper, or these two guys, Skipper and Jack, um, and they did an SDR talk. And they showed off being able to intercept like pagers from hospitals nearby just with like a little $30 SDR fob. So, I mean, that's always spooks me when I see that kind of stuff. Now, like car, hearing car fobs, like, oh my God, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, Justin was all, Justin Wynn was also showing me that. I think a long, long time ago, he was showing me like, you can, you can just like read pager data from, from, uh, from anywhere that that's around. Anyone has a pager, especially like near hospitals and stuff. That shit. Oh my God. Like airports and like military bases. You could just sort of tune it to there and take it. Take all clear text yeah. and they send passwords sometimes over it from what I understand. Like they send like credentials and stuff and it's like, okay, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Social security numbers and all this stuff. Yeah, oh my God, man. Yeah. Speaking yeah, of Justin Wynn, did you see he got accepted to Black Hat? Yeah, I saw that. I saw it, but this year, right? Yeah, which is virtual. Um, as of, as of right now, it's all virtual, but yeah, his talk got accepted. They're going to talk about the whole Iowa thing. Um, at Black Hat, so. That's good. 
I mean, I'm, I'm really glad because he needs to really, I mean, this situation, if anything, has raised a little bit of awareness of the precarious situations that sometimes our jobs imply. So, like, if anything, I'm glad because, like, if we can get a lot more legal backing when it comes to this stuff, uh, do we need it? We need it a lot, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. There's, there's definitely, like, I feel like I've been in InfoSec. Uh, I've hit that point in InfoSec now where I'm like starting to see problems. I'm like, oh, yep. what could we do about that? And I think you're right. The legal one's a huge one, man. Because yeah. if we, the, we don't have a lot of, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, if this Iowa thing went any different, like that would have been really bad. Like, <laughs> because that would have set so much precedent, right? It's like, oh, well, anybody can just get arrested for doing their job. Yeah, yeah, that, that would have been really bad, especially with the precedents. But I think we, we do need a lot of, um, legal we need a lot of uh we need to merge sort of the legal aspects and the technical aspects a lot more because i think while it's fun to break things it's fun to like break into buildings physically virtually like all that stuff like i think we really do have to take a step back sometimes and realize hey like this if we don't word this contract carefully like you know we this may have some really bad implications if something does happen and sometimes we don't pay a lot of attention to that because you know there's like this shiny thing of hey we're breaking into stuff all the time yeah yeah and it like yeah. sounds cool and we're getting paid so it's like hey, yeah. Yeah. who cares it'll go fine but yeah, if something does happen you know <laughs> yeah. caution you know always caution yeah very true uh, so you've also been working on some cool stuff with Apache LibCloud. That was you did a talk at at DerpCon about it, right? So no, not about the Apache LibCloud thing, but oh. I, yeah, yeah, I did a talk about um, uh, Yormungandr, which is uh, this is the project <laughs> called. It's basically uh, a C sharp. It's a C sharp um, binary that it's it's like you can think of it as like a mini Python installer, which doesn't sound interesting, but um, it's a C-sharp binary that pulls down the embedded version of Python. So Python, uh, when, when a new Python gets, a new Python version gets released, it comes with a whole lot of different installers. So there's like the 64-bit, 32-bit, but there's also a couple of other ones that I don't think a lot of people know of. Like there's the embedded installer. And the embedded installer is a portable version of the Python runtime. So all it is is a zip file with the Python executable in it, all of the standard Python library uh, by, uh, com compiled into PyYC files. So they're optimized. It's optimized for space. It's, it's just completely optimized and it's meant for a portable, uh, embeddable version of the Python runtime. Um, and because of that, it's perfect for like malware stuff where you can pull it down directly from python.org. And then you can use this other C-sharp project called python.net. And Python.net allows you to interact uh, with the .NET runtime through Python, right? So what this means is that you can now embed Python in a uh, C sharp. You can you can call .NET from a Python installation, right? Mm -hmm. And you can also embed it in a embed it quote unquote in a C sharp binary. So you can have just like a little C-sharp binary or DLL that pulls down Python and you can have a script and you just have a Python environment that can also call .NET APIs. And what's great about this approach as opposed to using something like Iron Python, 
is that you can pull down pip packages. So like you can do like pip install impact it if you wanted to. Oh. Yeah. So now you're talking about like a lot of crazy things you can do, right? You can install impact it on the machine. Um, and it's all embeddable. It's not in memory. Like it does drop the Python installation on disk just okay. because of how Python works. But you could modify the Python compiler, uh, the Python interpreter rather, in order to load everything from memory. But that would require a lot more work, which <laughs> I don't, I don't think I, I have the skill set or the um, motivation to do as of yet. But it's definitely possible. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask about because you were you were focusing on Iron Python and like Boolang, um, you know, embedded languages. I know you've been messing with those for a while now. Um, so now to hear this, I was like, okay, well, what's what's wrong with Iron Python? But being able to use pip, that's huge because I think one yeah. of the limits you were telling me about with Iron Python was like, okay, well now I have the opportunity to rewrite impact it in Iron Python, and that might make it work. But like now you don't have to rewrite impact it, which is <laughs> impact right. the beast. That's that yeah, would suck. And also like you can't natively call um like na you can't do native Win32 API calls from Iron Python, unfortunately, because it doesn't have this oh. thing called import attribute. Where it's it's just a way of doing native API calls from .NET. So unfortunately there isn't a way of doing that from Iron Python, which is one of the big huge limitations that I've that I immediately ran into when I first started playing around with it. And that's exactly what sent me down the rabbit hole of trying to find another language until I stumbled across Boolang, right? Which had that DLL import built in and it was, it just worked amazingly. Um, but with Python, you can do native API calls through just the built-in C types module. And that's mm. comes with Python. So that takes care of that problem as well. So, you know, it's a good workaround at least until uh, Iron Python 3 comes out, which may or may not even happen because it's a community project and it'll happen when it happens. Right. So, yeah, but, but the, another upside is that you can use pip and you can just install anything and you can like pull down, you can do some crazy stuff with it. Like if you implement it correctly, like you can pull down stuff from GitHub directly. Like you can just download Responder directly to the, oh to the endpoint, start running Responder. There's a lot of cool stuff you can do with it if it's correctly weaponized. So you've been working on this simultaneously with the libcloud stuff, right? Yeah, the libcloud stuff. I haven't. I don't even. I don't even think I've talked about that probably yet. But hey, Coalfire, Coalcast exclusive, oh, right? Oh, yeah. I'm looking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm. I'm working on another project uh, that um, tries to automate a lot of the infrastructure pains that we have during red teams. I already tried tackling this with another project called Red Baron that I wrote while I was at Coldfire. Right. Um, but unfortunately, Terraform isn't exactly, it, it, it's not as straightforward as I would like. And um, unfortunately, convincing people to learn Terraform uh, to do anything with something like that is you know, it, it might be an issue when it comes to user adaptation. So I basically wrote a Python version of Terraform, sort of, light, uh, using Apache Lib Cloud. Um, but it's nowhere, it's all command line driven. Like you don't have to, it, it, it's not, it just does everything for you. Like it, it's it's just literally, like it's just literally like a tool, uh, create node one, two, three, 
and then you specify the driver, which is DigitalOcean or AWS, and it just spins up the nodes, and you can it bootstraps Docker for you, and runs it can run like um, Ansible. Nice. Uh, on it. So hopefully it'll tie a lot of the, these things together. I just have to have more time to work on it. Yeah, my I, I mentioned I think LibCloud because when I heard about it from you, I looked into it and I mentioned it to somebody else, and they immediately were like, the, I can't remember what exactly they said, but their main complaint was that like it would have to constantly keep up with the different APIs for all these different cloud providers. Like anytime Docker had some update to like their API or like. I mean, to be fair, I mean they do have, but that is a good point. Although I do think like the the APIs for at least the stuff that Apache LibCloud uh does mm-hmm. like they don't really change that often because if they did change they would literally break everything in That's the world point, yeah yeah um but the but but to be frank like i've I've been using it a lot and i've ran into very few bugs there are some there are some like nuances with the library that you have to sort of grapple with and sort of drive me crazy but um other than that like it, it's it is it is Pretty good experience overall. Although the Azure and GCP and Google Cloud modules in LibCloud, oh god, they definitely do need some work. Uh, <laughs> I will admit that. <laughs> the AWS stuff is pretty solid. AWS stuff is super solid. Also, the DigitalOcean one is super solid, which is great because um, those are mainly the two that I use. Um, the GCP and Azure ones are solid too, but they require a lot more overhead and making those work in a way where it's also user friendly is right. a very big challenge because of all this, the crap that you have to tie together. So that, that was, that's, that's the main issue with those at least. So is that mostly this type of stuff like research and development? Is that mostly what you're doing at Black Hills at this point? Or are you also doing like pen tests and things like that? So most of my time right now, Black Hills is red teaming. Um, we we do have like obviously we can do R and D. Um we can specifically request it and that's fine. Like they'll give us a chunk of time to work on something. Um but most of the stuff that I do is usually on my own time just because of a lot of different reasons. Um but uh, m- yeah, most of it's mostly done on my own time. Most of this stuff is done on my own time. Unless it was unless it was made specifically for to address like a customer's request. Or like a specific thing that I ran into on in a customer engagement, then it's mostly in my own term. Nice. Yeah, I mean that's that's cool. Um, I, I'm enjoying this type of stuff like cloud automation. I've been playing it with it a lot recently too. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't like. It just seems like it's too dependent on on a single thing. Like if I focus too much on AWS, like what if it's a fad, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a big concern. I think. Um, because it vendor lock-in, right? Exactly. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a huge concern. That's why people try to get away from AWS. And also, like, AWS specifically, like, I think there's a lot of – people tend to gravitate towards AWS, but quite frankly, like, if you don't need 99% of the stuff that AWS has, it might be better to go with another provider because with complexity comes like a whole more attack surface, right? AWS has like so many different services, so much crap everywhere that like if you don't need fine-grained controls over like VPCs or like ECLs over objects and the AWS universe, like you might just 
might just want to think about, okay, maybe just go to DigitalOcean or another one that's just simple, spin up a node, done, that's it. Right. If you just need like a, a VM in the in the cloud somewhere. Yeah, I think I think people try try to if you just need a VM, just I mean, you really I mean you can you sure if you want to go with AWS, sure, but like, you know, DigitalOcean, Linode, there's a bunch of them that are just a lot more simpler. And sometimes less is more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, man, so what else have you been up to? Argentina, Quarantina, DerpCon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, DerpCon. Yeah, uh, a lot of CrackMap exec updates. Yeah, Thanks. okay, CrackMap exec updates. Yeah, what's up with that? Yeah, so MPGN, I actually don't know his real name, but um, he's uh, a French saint who decided to port over Python, uh, CME from Python 2 to Python 3. Um, and I wanted to like review the pull request and stuff before I merged it in, but I did not have time and I finally YOLO'd it and just merged it. All but, right. And, yeah. yeah. And, but I also gave him contributor access to the repository. So now MPGN is now an official CME contributor. Cool. Um, nice. Push access and everything. And, been, and he, and he's been really churning out a bunch of updates. Um, to CME as well. Like he really fixed it up really nice. So I, I really appreciate the effort and uh, I definitely owe him a lot of drinks when I see him. Nice. That's cool. Have you ever like talked to him before this or was he just like, Hey, I want to help contribute to the project. I think I, on Twitter, uh, I don't think I ever met him in person. I'm not sure if he's been to hack in Paris or not. I was at hack in Paris like two years in a row. Um, I'm not sure if he was there, but I probably didn't know him by then or something. Um, but I, I don't think I've ever met him in person. Huh. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, hmm. What, uh, what sort of updates? Has it's, he, has he added like SSH all the way? I know that was something that you were working on was like more SSH functionality. Yeah, I think he did actually merge. I think there was, there was a recent merge that he did about SSH. I think he added the ability to use SSH keys in order to scan, which, a big deal. Um, I would like to add more SSH to it. I would like to add a lot of stuff to CME. Um, so, but unfortunately, <laughs> what I am working on now when it comes to CME is CME 6. Oh. Because, yeah, so the entire thing sort of needs a rewrite from scratch for a lot of reasons, um, mainly because it was like my second big Python project and I had no clue what I was doing. Um, I'm a little older and a little wiser now, so hopefully I can code in a way where it doesn't, I don't, I don't feel like vomiting every time I see the code base. Um, <laughs> you have a special meaning with spaghetti code too, so yeah. it's like ultra spaghetti code. <laughs> spaghetti code really hits, it's home for me, spaghetti. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it, it's, yeah, I need to, I need to rewrite it from scratch. And also like with the rewrite comes a lot of, um, really cool stuff because um, so the idea is I'd be integrating it with the Bloodhound database, Neo4j. Oh, yeah. So uh, the future of CME is going to be tightly integrated with Bloodhound because it just makes sense. Um, the problem with that is Neo4j sort of is a, a, a resource hog. So there's probably going to be some like fallback database stuff that I'm going to have to deal with. But the idea is that you'd have a 
command line interface to the Bloodhound database, which would, which is CME DB, right? Now, the database for CME right now would be an interface to the Bloodhound database. So you'd be able to do Neo4j queries through the command line on the Bloodhound database, which would be super useful. Um, also like CSV exports and JSON stuff that is sort of all taken care of because of this awesome library called pandas, which is used for like data analytics and uh, big data stuff. I think I've heard of that recently. I can't remember what it was, but I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. It was like pandas and Node.js for something like that. Yeah. So it, it, it can take literally every, almost any format and sort of. Uh, make it in an intermediary format and spit it out in a different format, which is fantastic for like data science and stuff. Oh. Um, yeah, it's really cool. So like you can take HTML, CSV, JSON, Excel spreadsheets. It can do anything and it, and it just spits it out, um, in a, in a different format, which is amazing. Um, so I'm probably going to be taking advantage of that in the update. Um, but the great thing about also integrating in the Bloodhound database is that you'd be able to like use CME and automatically uh, update each Bloodhound node with credentials that you've compromised, right? So, like, say you found credentials some way, you scan, use those credentials with CME, you find a bunch of other boxes that you're able to access using CME. Uh, those credentials get automatically populated into the Bloodhound database. So when you go to query, when you go to look at the Bloodhound UI, you can like click on an individual node and see the credentials for that node. You can, it'll automatically mark it as owned or high value or depending on like what CMA thinks is most appropriate. So there's a lot of awesome integration possibilities that would make a life a whole lot easier. Um, but unfortunately it's just not possible with the existing code base because it, it's, it's, it's just a, it's just spaghetti code. If you could just get what you're talking about also integrated into a nice clean code base with like a Death Star type thing, also integrated with a nice like auto relay type thing, also integrated with a nice like uh, auto sprayer, atomizer, password spray type thing. Well, then you got a whole. <laughs> that sounds like a commercial product, if you ask me. <laughs> that does sound like a commercial product. Yeah, I don't know. I think, um, yeah, it's pretty like expensive. Expensive product. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's crossed my mind a few times, but uh, that sounds a whole lot like automating red teams, which is something that I don't want to encourage. Yeah, put, put <laughs> us all out of jobs. <laughs> well, I mean, no, it's not even no. That's that's basically impossible because like it, there's always going to be that one edge case, that one environment where like you you the automation will miss something. So like we'll we'll always have a job. That's not a problem. Um, I don't like the, I just don't like the trend of the whole automating red team things. I, I, I think it's pointless. That being said, there is, there, I think there is some space for like, I guess light automation, a lot of light automation here and there when it comes to specific tasks. So I'm all about that. I'm all about that light automation. Yeah. If, if you enable the people, to do their job more efficiently. That's one thing, right? It's not completely automating the job, but uh, automating it to a point where it provides value to a human being, like right. analyzing data, mm -hmm. then that's that's fine. That's great. Because then the human can go look at the results and say, hey, we should, you know, explore this. And that's fine. Yeah. But completely automating it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. 
Um, is it a good thing or bad thing that we publish offensive security tools? That's it. I'm just off InfoSec Twitter at this point, unless it's like me just sharing my own stuff. Like I'm not looking to get into fights with people. It's just, it's a, a shit show on, on InfoSec Twitter. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I'm on it because it does, like there are a few people that I follow that actually provide really good research yeah. that isn't politics or other crap that I'm not interested in. Right. Excuse me. And, um, but other than that, like, yeah, I don't, I don't really. Like, sometimes I post some music that I find on SoundCloud on it, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, see, that's mostly what I use it for, that. And, like, I have other interests, right, that I'm, like, also on Twitter for. I don't want to see your, like – I've noticed there's – I guess maybe that's just the InfoSec community. It's, like, there's a lot of overlap with, like, furries and, like, all these other groups that – mm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We're an interesting bunch of people. <laughs> it's yeah, it's nice. It's it's fun. Like I'm, I love the the community, like the infosec community, and uh, yeah, it's a good career path for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely. I think it's one of the best career paths to be honest. Like yeah, yeah. I I was uh I was talking to my wife about that the other day. Is that you see all these numbers? Um. That like there's, you know, X trillion dollars in finance or there's, you know, five trillion dollars in healthcare or whatever. I mean, all of it is backed by InfoSec and cybersecurity, especially in these next coming decades. Like there's yeah. going to be more wealth in the world and more of that wealth is going to be reliant on good cybersecurity. So cybersecurity yeah. is like, I mean, it's like agriculture at that point. Like it's an industry you can't yeah. do without. Hundred percent, and especially after this whole COVID thing, like now that people are basically going to be working remote, um, like permanently, like most, I'm assuming, like it, it was, I, mean, I just saw this on Twitter actually, where Shopify announced that it's completely digital, like yeah. it's closing down its offices and it's not going to reopen them after this. It's just going to go full remote. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling that most companies that even outside of InfoSec that have done this whole working remote thing will just stay remote after this. So it, like our jobs will be, if not invaluable, just because of that on the coming years. Yeah, I agree. Being able to work remote is so freeing for sure. And it's, it's good that more companies are seeing that like, Oh, okay, well we can give our employees this freedom and also still get work done. Like yeah, I don't able to... it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Commuting to work, like people like freaking people commute like an hour and a half to work. For like real. how, how are you getting any work? Like, I, I don't get it. Yeah. I really don't. Just, yeah, you're just, stuck in traffic like two hours out of every day doing nothing. Like, the internet exists for a reason. Like, advances. Let's use the technology. We have the technology. <laughs> <laughs> we can do it. We have the, we can build it. We're using it right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just like, there was that brief period though where it was like, will the technology support it? Cause suddenly everything was breaking. <laughs> I, I think we're more than capable of handling this, at least right now, unless something changes. Uh, what about a solar flare? Have you seen the uh, the statistics for a solar flare? Oh, God. Is that 20, is 2020 going to have a solar flare too now? <laughs> it's supposed to be sometime in the next, like, five years. We have a really bad solar flare that, like, basically acts like an EMP and wipes out um, a significant amount of our technology for the next six months, I guess it like, you know, melds wires together and like does all sorts of stuff. It would be a mess. Perfect. Well, let's hope that happens after we get out of the COVID thing and right. then we can deal with one disaster at a time. I think, but let's. Yeah. Uh, 
no virus <laughs> and solar flare storm at the same time, like one at yeah. a time. Yeah, this this year couldn't get any weirder. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had, I had that in as an idea. There was a couple other ideas that were floating around. I just hadn't had time to implement them. Maybe you could do a class more focused on developers, getting them into the mindset of like writing malware instead of directing it towards like offense or like IT security people and saying, hey, do you want to write malware? Because like, I think you're right. Like more of the prerequisite knowledge is dependent on development concepts. And then you Correct. could, it's easier to teach a developer like, hey, look, this runs malware. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll grasp the concept immediately. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I, that's what I've been saying. Like, especially like even DevOps stuff. Like, I've been saying, like, I, I've been wanting to take an actual, like, official DevOps class for a long time because there is, there are, there are so many things outside of the InfoSec bubble that take, that would like increase our quality of life slash a million work. Work, yeah, workflow like by a million times. Dude. It just takes so long for these concepts to permeate back into the infosec bubble that we're adopting this stuff like three, four years after like they've been they've been doing it in DevOps. Like yep. this is a thing. So it's just trying to create. Like I've just been recently like start. I mean not recently, but I guess for the like past year or so, I've just been starting to work with Docker. It's been life changing. Like it's literally like it's just so much. It's like things that I were doing before just don't exist anymore. It just it just solves everything. You can't even get hackers to use pipinv. You can't get them to use virtual environments, let alone containerization, and then let alone you know like serverless stuff. Like no way. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to permeate. Yeah, it's hard to like bring these concepts to the infosec community because I think we're. A lot of us are sort of at, uh, adverse to change, mm-hmm. and which is incredible considering how fast this industry changes and yeah. like on a daily basis. But I think a lot of us are, and and it's and it's a problem because I I think, yeah, it's hard to generalize this, but I think a lot of a lot of us in the infosec community are pretty adverse to changing our workflows, our the way of doing things, just because like we expect them to just work yeah. forever for. I'm not sure why. This is just the impression I have from a lot of talking to a lot of people. But yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a weird situation. Yeah, you're 100% right. Yeah, I've seen the same sort of problems and I think it's going to be interesting over the next few years to see what companies do to innovate. Um I know com- like Coalfire right now, yes, about how Coalfire's doing earlier. They're pushing for more R&D focus right now because um you're getting less like pen tests happening, so they're like, well, uh, let's let's take this time to write some cool new stuff and train up our staff more and all that, which I, I think is a good call. I think if you have like if for this crappy situation, that's a good way to to mitigate some of the problems of just having people not have work to do. Correct. Yeah, I think it's 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 a huge like the it's a it's a complex issue where I think it's it's especially with the the EDR landscape. Yeah. Sort of helping uh, stepping up their game. The Windows operating system stepping up their game. Um, we're seeing a lot of this, a lot of things that pen testers have been doing for years and years and years suddenly disappear. Um, and I think that that's part of the reason why I think a lot of a lot more companies, a lot a lot more companies are are a little bit more uh, secure, I guess, confident about themselves. If that makes sense. Yeah. So they might not be. They, they might not be getting a lot 
pen tests as much as they were before. Um, having said that, though, it, yeah, we're, we're sort of like even at Black Hills, we're starting to see that we cannot be relying on open source tooling anymore as much as we were before, especially during red teams. Yeah. Uh, because it, it just, it's, it, there's a, there's going to be a very near future where just open source tooling, at least from open source offensive tooling will not be as useful or at least completely impossible to use on red teams. Uh, just because it, it'll just get caught immediately. Yeah. Um, so what we're starting to see is, and this is what we're doing now. We're sort of late. We're a little bit late in the game on this, at least in my opinion, but, uh, because there are a lot of other companies out there that sort of have been doing this for years at this point. But we're starting to focus our efforts in building out internal tooling, building out, um, doing our own research and development that we keep in-house um, because, like, it, it just won't. It's not something that will – open source tooling will be able to be relied upon in the long run. Yeah, I agree for sure. Like, it's just – you. that's the whole point, right? Like, when you're doing red team, blue team, there's this, like – implication that it's kind of an arms race right like you're trying to beat the other side even though it's like a simulation and you're still working with them like you still want to push the envelope of like what you're capable of and when you're giving away your your work for free like on github and and like you said edr and stuff is just like oh well let's add that to the engine and now you know blacklist that that's thing you just spent the last two weeks developing like you, you have to go closed source now if you want to have that competitive edge yeah, and 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 it's also like a question of because sometimes and this is something that I've noticed a lot is that EDRs tend to like a lot of defensive solutions tend to detect the tooling rather than the underlying technique. So what happens is like Mimikatz is a perfect example of this. Like if you run Mimikatz anywhere, like you'll get caught almost yeah. immediately. Yeah. If they have any kind of EDR solution in place, if they have any kind of if they have Sysmon or any anything any kind of log like wind beats or whatever the hell you have, right? Uh, you'll probably get caught because opening up a process's memory and reading it, especially LSAS, <laughs> is, you know, it'll get you caught almost immediately, right? Yeah. So, that, like, uh, Adam Chester, XPN, like, came out with a proof of concept that did this just with, like, a few lines of C sharp. And at the time, I think it, like, bypassed a few, e- uh, like, most EDR solutions, right? So, What's going on is, and this is a trend, like this happened in a customer, uh, this happened to a customer of mine, uh, just like a few weeks ago where we were trying, we were using Cobalt Strike. It was a purple team exercise. We were using Cobalt Strike, right? We were, we got a foothold with it. Um, but everything we did with Cobalt Strike got caught. Wow. And that was, yeah. And, and that was mainly because a lot of the stuff by default and even with like configuring the malleable C2 profile and stuff, it, it, it uses process injection. It opens up process injection and spawns processes every other, like every other command, right? But the Cobalt Strike just does process injection, like for everything. It's kind of noisy. Yeah, just because yeah. of the way it's designed, right? So what I did was I just, I, I used Sound on Trinity and I even used the PowerShell payload, right? Like I was expecting, there's, I was like, okay, just for, you know, shits and giggles, just use this, just try this, and then if anything, I'll come back and I'll give you something better to run, right? And the PowerShell Silent Trinity stager worked on the first try. Wow. So, like, and this is, and they were using a well, a very well-known EDR, one of the EDRs that are considered, like, 
top 10, top five, whatever the hell the arbitrary scale is. And like, it just went right through it. So like, and then we can do anything. We, I, I was able to key log, like, take screenshots, uh, like basically everything like I, that I could do with Sound Trinity that wasn't working with Cobalt Strike. So what's going on is a lot of these EDR solutions are detecting the tools, but they're not detecting the underlying tactics and, and techniques. So like you could just re-implement those techniques in a different language or re-implement them in your custom version and you'll just bypass most EDRs. So I think that's, that's another issue that we're going to be seeing a whole lot is you'll start seeing like these defensive solutions sort of honing in on the commercially and open source tools. And they'll be really good at detecting those open source tools, but the minute you take those, that same stuff that the open source tool is doing and just re-implement it yourself, it'll just go right through it. So that, that's, that's going to be the, I feel like that's going to be a huge issue moving forward with, with this, these kind of defensive solutions. So is that the future of Silent Trinity then? Is it going like closed source and uh, going to be sort of like your undetectable internal C2? No, no I think, Sound will definitely be uh, always open source. There might be some things that I keep like private, like modules, stuff like that, that I, I only use just because I don't want them getting burned and that kind of thing. But yeah. it'll always be open source. Um, I have a lot of plans for Sound Trinity. I just need time to do it. Um, I'm, I'm in the process of working on a web interface for it. Um, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that I would like to see Silent Trinity do because I feel like there is a lot of potential for it. It just needs a whole lot more development time to make it mature enough to use on a red team. Um, oh man, I had something. Oh yeah. So we, we were talking on the last episode of Colcast, uh, mm-hmm. about it was on the Corona cast, the, the COVID cast special, if you will. <laughs> we were talking about, uh, the possibility of hackers getting laid off. And like how the industry seemed pretty safe from layoffs right now. But if it were to happen, what would happen? And like that was just purely a hypothetical. Well, as as you know, from the Wukong chat, like over the last couple of weeks, we've actually seen a ton of hackers actually getting laid off. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like it seems like some are hiring back, though. So you've been more involved with this than me. Like, what's the overall feeling? Is it like more positive? Like. Are these people that are getting laid off getting jobs elsewhere pretty quickly? It seems like they are. Um, I think, I think the, <laughs> I think the primary people that the, the people that are getting laid off tend to be from big big companies. Okay. Um, so what I think is going on is just C level executives saying, "Crap, we're not getting like." as much income as we have to to appease the stakeholders we have to slash budget where can we slash it oh we can slash it here it's the the, the, the computer it people yeah slash them like they're not they don't they, they sort of they get paid a lot you know get rid of them and they'll get the stock prices up or whatever right um i think that's what's going on because like startups and um, small to medium companies that i'm aware of uh, they're not laying off security people at all. So I think it's, it's just the big companies trying to appease stakeholders, if you ask me, but. Okay. That, might be wrong. that makes sense. No, because like, I mean, coal fire's hiring, 
right? And like I've seen all these other companies that are like we're hiring too. So I don't know. We did a, so the, in the Wukan chat we had a bunch of and I sent, I actually tweeted about this. There are a few people that I tweeted I started a Twitter thread about it where if you had any like if you were part of a company that was hiring like comment below and I added to the spreadsheet so people can submit their resumes. Um, but we started a spreadsheet in the Wukan chat and this is like I like just from the Twitter thread alone and um, I think a few other places like there, there's like 15 to 20 entries. Um, on that spreadsheet right now. So, I mean, companies are definitely hiring. Um, I'm not sure what's going on um, with the companies that are firing IT security people, especially during these times where everyone's remote. That seems like shooting yourself in the foot to me. It does. (laughs) But whatever. I mean, you know, if you like living that YOLO life, go right ahead. Yeah, right. (laughs) Like, well, we just, we're going to declare bankruptcy anyway, so we might as well get breached on the way out. (laughs) Yeah, Screw it. Yeah, we got insurance anyways, so we don't care. I guess. I mean, I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> oh man. Uh, cool. Well, I don't want to keep you too long. I think I only booked this for an hour, and um, I'm I'm out of out of like agenda items, dude. Oh, I'm. Thank you again for coming on to, yeah, to talk. It's a. Uh, it's interesting, like going fully remote. Also, it's like, okay, well, how do we do Colcast now? And you can see. <laughs> my handheld microphone that uh, I can't quite get the infrastructure up to get a stand for it. So I just got to hold it. <laughs> uh, I, I had I actually had the, 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 the Yeti. I think you got, do you have a Yeti too? Is that a Yeti nano? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I, I got a Yeti too. I had it, but it seems like you hear me perfectly fine with the MacBook mic. So that's good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm excited to see, you know, what, what you got like in, in the future. It seems like there's always something new and cool. Uh, you, every, like ever, ever since I met you, you always had something in the, in the fire. If that's the phrase, like yeah, an iron, yeah. you were doing something. So I'm trying to start doing more stuff like that. I mean, it's make progress. That's cool. Yeah. I'm trying to it, it's work. You have to have a balance. I found this out real fast. Um, you have to have a balance when you do this. I had a huge burnout, like, two, three months ago, and it was bad. Um, so you definitely, I've been trying to mitigate that. You have to, you can only work so much on these projects after hours until you go absolutely insane. So Yeah. Well, thanks again for coming on. It's been fantastic. Cool. Well, and, and listeners, thank you for listening. So uh, it's been great.